With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The, the, the games are over, but the game never stops. Never stops. This is College Football Overtime with Garrett Chapman and Abe Gordon. We are College Football Overtime. Garrett Chapman, Abe Gordon, and we are packed, Abe. All of the college football reactions that you need right here on the College Football Overtime podcast. And we had a ton of important games that will likely go a really long, long way in deciding each of the Power 5 conferences that, that we'll get into on this podcast right here over the next 60 minutes or so. All of the Week 9 action that you love, all of that stuff, we're going to get into it right now. Plus, Abe, the inaugural college football rankings come out on Tuesday, and the jockeying, I'm telling you, man, it's at full throttle right now. I think El- Oklahoma just took one to the nose. They're down for the count. We'll see what happens there. They they still have a chance to go play for a Big 12 title game. We're going to get into that. We're going to see how the uh, the ramifications of that. We're going to give you our own college football playoff rankings, and we might try to predict what they're going to do on Tuesday too. But at the same time, Florida State, Texas, Georgia, all of those teams, they flex their muscles, you know, on some punishing wins. Crazy week of action. Abe, oh, I know you ran a marathon, so brag to the people for a second. We're going to get that out of the way. He's a big marathon runner. He finished it. Uh, all in one piece, and he's still with me right here on the College Football Overtime Podcast. Yeah, it was great. The the best part about it probably was the fact that I finished it before kickoff to any of those games. So unbelievable! Uh, I was able to shoot home. Uh, pretty pleased with it. Shoot home and and uh, settle in for a a long day of football. And it was it was an interesting day. You know, it was one of those days where we looked at the schedule, we looked at what games are slotted, and and you said, "Man, look at this trio at three thirty. But the noon games delivered and, uh, uh, you know, some some great action late night as well. The 3.30 obviously took care of itself, but uh, it was just another day where noon until midnight all the way through we were all ready for through. it. Yeah. All the way through. And I know a lot of people were taking care of their Halloween festivities given the fact that it's coming up on a Tuesday, which Tuesday is a big day for, for a lot of reasons. It's the NFL trade deadline. We're not yeah. going to talk about that on this podcast because we're, we talk college football. It's Halloween. Um, and then – you know, the non-girl college football playoff rankings are going to come out. And I, I think one team that really set themselves up to take a next step in that is the University of Georgia. They dominated Florida in this game. It was a beautiful sight to see for 50% of the stadium and not so much for the other 50%. One of the most beautiful sides, sights in all of college football is down there in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, and let me tell you, that first drive for Florida, they seem to have something going. Uh, 66 yards and the touchdown. And then it all went wrong. 36 unanswered points for Georgia. They were without Brock Bowers, but you know, the, am I crazy for thinking they, they almost looked like a better football team 
without Brock Bowers. And I know that that's not true. And I'm not trying to say that that's obviously ridiculous. He's one of the best players in the country, but you know, this was a team that was told for two weeks because they had the bye week last week that they were going to take a big step back now that Brock Bowers was out. And I think they heard that and they wanted to come out and convince anybody. Well, I think they just wanted to convince themselves of this and they came out and kicked Florida in the teeth. Uh, Pretty resounding effort from Georgia tonight, or on Saturday, not on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, look, this game, and don't be confused by the final score, it was 36-7 to entering the fourth quarter. It was, like you mentioned, complete and utter domination. And it wasn't so much to me that that um, the Brock Bowers thing, and look, Kirby Smart's going to use it. If we've learned anything from Kirby over the last two years, is if there's any bit of slight that he can use towards motivation, he's going to pull that in and use it. I will say this in regards to Brock Bowers. It wasn't that they looked better without him. This was a game in which they did not need him. The question is going to become, at what point is there a game in which you notice they would have needed Brock Bowers? I know we've got Missouri coming up. We'll talk about that more on the show uh, later uh, later in the week, and, and we'll dive into that. But um, it wasn't so to me. It was it was just that they didn't necessarily need Brock Bowers because of yeah. how good they looked. And this is also why you don't overreact early in games. Florida looked great coming out. Obviously, your scripting plays. You get Graham Mertz into a rhythm, and, and it all fell apart after that, largely because uh, of the Georgia defense. And to me. As you mentioned, as we're heading towards these football rankings, the college football playoff rankings, I mean, look, it's a good time to look like a team that can play for a national championship. We've been asking for how many weeks now? Where is that Georgia team? And I know we saw it against Kentucky, and now maybe Kentucky isn't as good as uh, – and not that that's a surprise, but, you know, they came in ranked and whatever. Um but Georgia did look good in that game. They dominated offense, defense, special teams. They did that again on Saturday against Florida. It looked like a team that's ready to win a national championship, uh, which is good because some of the other teams, whether it's off the field situations that are kind of muddying the waters um, or some other on-field performances, uh, Georgia stepped back. I know we'll talk about the college football playoff rankings, but in terms of the AP rankings, they got back a boatload of their first place votes that they had previously given up. They're back up to nearly 50 first place votes. So this was a good showing for Carson Beck. Mm-hmm. Also a good showing for the defense overall. Again, they they held Florida to seven points that came on the opening drive all the way through until the start of the fourth quarter. So uh, just a resounding, resounding, dominating win. It is with Brock Bowers, but it's a good way to ramp up this stretch of four games or, or however long he's going to be. This is supposedly a really difficult stretch comparatively for what uh, you know Georgia had been facing. There sure. are a couple of stumbling blocks. Florida was one of them, and they dispatched them very easily. Very impressed by what I saw from Georgia on Saturday. Yeah, and, and look, I think it's it, they're kind of like the, the Jekyll and Hyde, if you will, because, I, I mean – we talked a little bit about what they were when they were sleepwalking and, and maybe they just need something uh, to wake them up, you know, and, and Kirby smart. I mean, he's a king of trying to pick up and, and find that motivation. Like you said, and uh, look, I was also equally impressed with Dejan Edwards in this game. This is a Florida defense that really struggles with the North South rushing attacks. Uh, I mean, we saw what Ray Davis in Kentucky yeah. did. We just talked about them and, and the way Georgia looked against that Kentucky squad. Ray Davis ran made minced meat out of this, uh, Florida front seven and and it's it's just the, the ability of teams to run north south on that team is 
something that that Billy Napier is certainly going to have to address here in the next couple of years, or I guess this offseason because of the, the status of the transfer portal. But look, Dejan Edwards, he played well. He's He's been very effective for the dogs coming out of uh, – after he finished – came back from his injury. 96 yards on Saturday, two touchdowns. Uh, Kendall Milton also looked pretty good too. 55 yards for uh, for him, and he also scored a touchdown. But I was really impressed with Carson Beck and Lab McConkey. That connection was pretty pretty awesome to see. Uh, if you're a dog fan, 135 yards for Lad. He finally looks healthy, and he was just as important a piece for this team last year that when they won the national title, uh, as Brock Bowers was. You could really make that argument because he was their number one receiver on the outside, and I think it, Carson Beck is also starting to look a little bit more comfortable and he's in full command of this offense that I think has only gotten better as the season's gone on. Uh, the rushing attack has been elite. Like I said, the passing attack has been elite all season for the most part. And really since that game against Auburn, this this offense has looked every bit the part of a national title contender, if not the, one of the favorites, if not the favorite. Yeah, very impressed with Lad McConkie. I think you nailed it when, when referencing Carson Beck. And Carson Beck does appear to be that guy. Uh, he continues to improve, continues to step up, uh, and just looks so comfortable too, is the other thing. He just, he, you don't feel like he's mm-hmm. panicking or, or the moment's too big. And I know it hasn't been the biggest pressure moments, um, but he, he is so, so ready to lead this team forward into the playoffs. And I'll say this about Lad McConkey. It, it's so odd to watch him dominate, even though I expect him to dominate. It's odd to see it. He's not the fastest guy. He's not the biggest guy. He knows he's a great route runner. He understands the defenses. He does use the size that he has pretty well. He's got good hands. Um, He's just a super complete. He's not an athletic freak the way 18 is, but he is a super complete receiver. And we talked about and we wondered who's the guy that's going to step up. Not surprised that it's Lad McConkey. Uh, by any stretch, not surprised. Uh, but it was good to see it actually on the field. And and uh, he's going to be a huge part of this team as they go through this stretch without Brock Bowers. There's no doubt about it. But uh, whatever Kirby finally got into them, now the question remains as we move forward, can they repeat that effort? You know, that's what I wanted to see after the Kentucky game. And, and if you're going to be dominant, let's dominate every Saturday. And so now the question is coming up, in, in your next game against Missouri, can you look like you did uh, against Florida? Because uh, if that Georgia team starts to show every week, then then they're, they're going to be rolling towards an SEC championship game and, and potentially the college football playoffs. Yep. And, and then changing gears to Florida, this is they showed some pretty glaring holes. And I think they looked very good on that first drive. But I think – Outside of that, it, this is an offense that needs its rushing attack to be working. The three times that it has worked for them this year or hasn't worked uh, worked for them, Utah, Kentucky, and Georgia. And some of those is just because like, Kentucky took them out of their game plan early. Utah and Georgia shut them down. And those two, all three of those were pretty resounding losses for Billy Napier. And look, I, I think he has led this Florida team and they, they've surpassed expectations, I, I would say. I mean, you can speak probably on that better than I can. Uh, just in general, as far as expectations for what the team was coming into the season, uh, people wanted him fired. And I, I think he has largely done a very good job this season. He's won the games that he's supposed to win. He's won a couple of games that he was probably not supposed to win. Uh, they, I mean, look, they had the great performance against South Carolina. And, and, and unfortunately, this game against Georgia is just going to likely overshadow that if you're a Gators fan. 
but this is also a really important final stretch for Billy Napier and the Florida Gators. You have Arkansas next week. Absolutely need to win that game if you're Billy Napier, because then you have at LSU top 13 or 13th team in the country. We'll see if they're mm-hmm. still there after Alabama next week. Right. Then you have at Missouri. There are 14 right now. We'll see if they're there after the Georgia game, but then you finish the game with the year with Florida state. And look, that's a difficult stretch of games. Those final three games. So you cannot let this loss turn into a second loss next week against Arkansas, because those final three games, man, this could very easily turn into a five street, five game losing streak for, for Florida in the season. And I don't think anybody wants to see that in Gainesville. Yeah. I, I don't want to overreact to to how Florida looked on Saturday, for being sure. honest, uh, because I do think the expectations, if you're realistic, was probably this. And yeah, you should be at Arkansas. I agree. And, and the 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 last stretch of games there that you referenced, that's icing on the cake games, right? Yeah. You, you don't expect to win any of them. Uh, you hope to be competitive. If you can nab one of them here or there, uh, it's just icing on the cake for mm-hmm. for this team. But look. Graham Mertz had, has outplayed what Graham Mertz is. Uh, I, I mean, there's a reason he was what he was at Wisconsin. There's a reason he didn't go elsewhere in the transfer portal. Um, and he had overperformed. What I, I, I mean, uh, the, the, just being honest, this was the Graham Mertz we kind of expected. He wasn't terrible on, on Saturday, but he wasn't amazing either. Um, and, and you're only so good based on how your line protects and, like you said, the run game and, and, and all that stuff. Um, so I'm not going to overreact to this. Um, it, it, this is probably what this team is. Uh, it was nice to get that Tennessee win. That was an important moment, I, I think, for Napier. As good uh, you were able to come back, but uh, all in all, this this is probably a team that's pretty close to 500, and I think that's okay. Now you have to take a step next year if you're Billy Napier. You, you, yeah. you've got to threaten eight and four, nine and three at some point uh, to try and rejoin uh, the elite, uh, not even the Georgia level, but, but to get where you need to be in, in second place in the SEC East year, you, you got to take that step at some point, but that step was never coming this year. So uh, I'm not too hard on Florida after this one. This is a situation where Georgia, who we, we all keep trying to, to crown and I've been hesitant to put them and give them first place votes. They finally look like the team that we've been waiting to see. Uh, so bravo to them for, for showing up on Saturday. Yeah, and they sacked Graham Mertz. Like you mentioned, they got some good pressure on him. That was probably the biggest difference in the game for Georgia. They 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 connected four times, so they sacked him four times. But but they were pressuring him all day, and I think that's really came from the fact that they can't lean on the rushing attack. But Ricky Pearsall, I mean, he puts in another great effort, six receptions, 99 yards. Uh, you have some pieces here that can turn into something that could be pretty effective down the road. And Look, I don't know what year he is off the top of my head, per chance, but I, I don't know. What do you know? Is he a sophomore or what? Is, what is Pearsall? He might be a uh, senior. Actually. Pearsall's done. Yeah, he's a senior. Right. Okay. So don't he know might be finished off. But he's been a very he's been a revelation for Florida this year. And then look, Billy. I mean, you got to improve next year. You got to. Yeah, I mean, Eugene Wilson like looked good. He's a freshman. Eugene Wilson. So he, he's the guy that he, he's the best receiver athletically on this team. All on gotcha. the Florida team. Well, uh, I mean, they'll, they'll be licking their wounds. Arkansas coming to town next week, so uh, big, big, uh, big performance is necessary again to uh, to reverse their fortunes here. But speaking of reversing your fortunes, uh, Oregon, uh, well, I should say Utah, reversed their fortunes in the wrong way after the big win over USC. They get punched in the mouth repeatedly over and over and over and over against Oregon. Um, Abe, I don't know about you, but they take a twenty-one to three lead. Oregon does with 12, 12 minutes and 29 seconds to go in the second quarter. And I was like, all right, this game is over, right? 
Utah was never really able to get anything going on offense. The rushing attack wasn't working. Uh, Bryson Barnes was all but shut down uh, on the day. Oregon shut down the Utah offense. Not that the Utah offense was really worth much. It just really showed that USC's defense is as bad as we thought. Uh, it was not a revelation. They didn't figure something out. They just played a bad team last week against USC. Yeah, uh, there, there's no doubt about that. And I know you had some very serious questions leading into this game about this Utah offense and, and would they be able to reach the 20s? And it proved to be an accurate take uh, out of you. So so good job on, on that call. It, it was a situation where they were outmatched on both sides of the ball. And you had an offense uh, with Utah who whose quarterback could not compete in this game with what Bo Nix is able to do. Uh, forget the playmakers around them. And, and, and I agree with you. I know they fumbled on their second possession, Oregon did. Um, but it, it felt that like it was close to getting out of hand. And, and when they go for a touchdown on their third drive, touchdown on their fourth drive. And uh, like you said, it's 21-3. And there was no road back for Utah. There, there, there was no situation. This game was always, as you mentioned, if they could have somehow found a way to keep this to 17-13 or something like that, that was the only way they were going to win. Um, and the Oregon offense is just too good and the defense as well. This yeah. is a very complete team that lost the game. And just like, um, you know, Texas or even Alabama, um, you got to be careful burying some of these one loss teams who might actually be better than the team that beat them. I'm not suggesting we'll talk our way through it and we'll play our way through it that, you know, Oregon's not necessarily better than Washington. Texas is not necessarily better than Oklahoma, but uh, I do think you got to be careful burying some of these teams that uh, have stepped out of the picture for the moment. Very easy to see Oregon getting back in the picture. And this was a very impressive performance. Um, I mean, just, just complete. It, it was just a very complete win on the road, tough environment against the team that you know is well coached, is normally pretty disciplined. Uh, yeah. they, they don't beat themselves. They, this is not a team that wasn't ready for that sort of game or that sort of moment. They've been in those games. They've had those moments. Um, and it did not matter. Uh, it just did not matter. That's how good Oregon was uh, and continues to be this season. The, the one loss that they have, it's going to keep them pushed down the rankings. I understand that. I don't know how many teams are better than Oregon in, in, in the country right now. Yeah, and I actually have them as the best one-loss team in the country. I think they're better than some of the undefeated teams right now. Yeah. Um, Kirby Smart actually said this a couple of weeks ago. He said, well, well, someone asked him and said, hey, well, aren't you worried about team people not voting you number one? He's like, I, I don't care. I don't care. I only care about what I'm rated at the end of the season. I don't want to be number one right now. I don't care if I am. I want to be number one at the end when it's all said and done. And look, some teams – I mean, most teams don't ride – like undefeated seasons. They don't go all the way through. Some teams need that loss to sort of wake them up a little bit. And I mean, you saw this with Florida a couple of years ago when they played, they lost to Ole Miss and they go on this huge run. And it was like the galvanizing moment that they needed to really kick them into gear. You saw it happen with Alabama in the past when they lost to Ole Miss. And then they use that to galvanize themselves and, and shoot into a national championship bid. You know, some teams need to lose. And at the same time, it's like, they are completely in control of their own destiny right now. They they they're going to go down the down the line, win the games that you're supposed to win, which is every game on your schedule, and then go play in the Pac-12 title game. Hopefully, you're facing an undefeated Washington team, and you can seek retribution then. And at that point, 
you're going to be in. Like a one-loss Pac-12 champion this year is most beyond a shadow of a doubt in the college football playoff. You know, so I, I think this is a very good Oregon team. I agree with you; they're the best one-loss team in the country. I, again, they're better than some of the undefeated teams that are out there right now. But look, I was impressed with all phases of this Oregon team. I think they they're a complete team. They can run the ball effectively. Bucky Irving had another really good day against a really good Utah defense. Bo Nix has had his 70% completion in multiple passing touchdowns in nine straight games. He passed Kellen Moore for the longest active streak. It's like they can do everything on offense. They have skilled players on the outside who can burn you. They can get you deep. They have big players who can catch you and get the big contested yardage. And then on defense, they're pretty effective too. You know, so they are one of the most complete teams in the country. And they showed why they are a team to be feared against Utah. I mean, this is a team that, that they had won 18 consecutive games at home. Like you talked about Kyle Whittingham. He's one of the best coaches. I think he might be, he might have a claim as a top three coach in, in college football right now. Uh, and Oregon came in there and just outclassed them. They outphysicaled them. They beat them at their own game. And this is just a resounding win for the Ducks. Uh, no, I, I think you're right. It's just one of those things where, I don't want to put the cart in front of the horse, sure. But I'm just dying to see that Oregon Washington rematch. I'm dying. I got my fingers crossed. How man. it plays my out and, and who goes to the playoffs because it just feels deserving. And again, both teams got to play their way there still, and, and there's still a number of ranked opponents that they'll have to deal with. But uh, it 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 just every week I see, especially Oregon. We'll get to Washington later, but. Every week yeah. I see them, they impress me more and more. And I remove the idea that they lost uh, a couple weeks ago. It's just so easy to to get past that because they're so impressive. But uh, at the end of the day, they still got to take care of their business. Washington, as you mentioned, has to take care of theirs so we can see that rematch uh, or, or else it may not matter. But uh, just, yeah, I, I'm, I mean, they're one of the few that looks right now, one loss or not, that they're capable of winning a national championship. Yeah, they certainly are. And and look, they like you said, they have to finish their business. California next week. And then you got USC, a game that it's going to be a good game. I mean, look, I, I trashed USC just a second ago, but that doesn't mean they're a bad football team. They're just a bad defense. We'll see if they can uh, really resurrect their season with a win there. Uh, but Arizona State, we saw what they just did uh, to, to, to Washington a couple of weeks ago. They held them touchdownless on offense, which is a very interesting result, but then you finish the season with uh, Oregon State in the Apple Cup. So I think that it's – or no, that's Civil War. Excuse me. Apple Cup is Washington or Washington yeah. State. Excuse me. So Oregon, Oregon State to finish off the year. It's a difficult test for the Ducks. So if they get back to the Pac-12 title game, they'll have earned it. Yeah. Uh, but I do want to move on to a team because Kansas and Oklahoma, that's really – that's where I want to go next. They – this is probably the first college football game that has rocked the, the just the national landscape, I, I would say, honestly, because as far as upsets go, Oklahoma's been holding off comeback, or excuse me, uh, the, the rally against UCF last week. Uh, they held that one off. They couldn't do that again this week, and Kansas jumps on them 38-33. to 33. But I, I want to start with Kansas just because this is the first time they've beaten Oklahoma since 19 19- 97 that's an 18 game losing streak that kansas had to oklahoma and they're bowl eligible in consecutive seasons for the second time in school history just a huge credit to what lance leopold has been able to do over there for the jayhawks but this is just an incredible performance because they were trailing they, and they, they led 14 nothing early in this game and then 
trailed multiple times in each one of those games, the, the, the times that they were trailing, it just sort of felt like, all right, that's the nail in the coffin. And then they would come back and, and I don't know, make a, make a statement and stay in the game and, and do make the little play that they need to make, you know, and Jason Bean, the bean man, he stepped up in big moments. He didn't have a great game. All things considered. He, he did surpass 200 yards passing was sub 50%, but had two interceptions. But like I said, made the plays when he needed to make the plays, uh, especially on that final game-winning drive that he had. Just a just a great game if you're the Kansas Jayhawks. Yeah, I'll say this. It was sloppy from both teams, and I think that's why Kansas was able to pull this out. Um, Oklahoma had been cruising. They, they had been a high-operating, well-oiled machine up until this point. Um, their turnover margin was very important in, in getting them to an undefeated mark this deep into the season. They uh, were plus, and I believe in every single game this season, and that was not necessarily the case uh, on Saturday. And, and it was one of those things where two things I took out of this from the Kansas perspective is, is one, um, I don't know how they're going to hold on to Coach Leipold. Uh, I ju- it just seems like there's we just a, signed a, con- bigger... a contract extension. I know, so we'll but see. but money talks <clears throat> at, at other places, and it just I, you know it just feels like um, a real big job is is headed his way at some point. I don't know if it's this hiring cycle or not, but um, he's going to go somewhere big. There's no doubt about it when the time is right. Uh, but the other aspect of this is this is the Kansas team we've kind of been waiting on. And I know Jalen Daniels had uh, been in and out the whole season uh, just due to the injury and obviously wasn't in this game. Um, But the Kansas team, the look, they didn't get to bowl eligibility just because of Jalen Daniels uh, last year or this year. This is a solid team that has disappointed me, if we're being honest, in in various moments of the season. And so I, I kept trying to delay burying them and wait for them to show the team that I thought they could be, and they finally did it on Saturday. It it was an ugly game, which they're comfortable playing in. Um, A lot of back and forth, back-to-back turnovers, stuff like that. Um, And it it was good to see them get that one. This is an interesting moment now for the Big 12 because I'm no longer convinced of any of their teams getting to the college football playoffs because – with Oklahoma now losing, I don't know if Texas going through is uh, if that's enough to get them in. So, I mean, I know that's a discussion for later down the road and, and all that, but uh, this is a big, big blow to the Big 12 this year. Yeah, it certainly was. And, and look, I don't, Oklahoma, they, they have Bedlam next week, it's Oklahoma State. And that's not going to be an easy game because Ollie Gordon is already over a thousand yards rushing for Oklahoma yeah. State, has 858 total yards in his last three games he's just out of his mind right now and and so it's the, the going doesn't get easier for if you're oklahoma uh but look this is an ugly game do we have the rain delay in the second quarter and i, I thought the rain delay was going to end up helping oklahoma in the end uh but the defense was lackluster they they had 218 yards passing for kansas uh 225 yards rushing 443 total yards this was a stout defense that it They'd been able to hang their hat on it, you know, for the most part. And that's what kind of what Brett Venables cuts his teeth is on the defensive side of the football. But then on the offensive side of the ball, Dylan Gabriel really struggled in this game. 14 of 19, really inefficient. Uh, well, I guess he was efficient, but he just wasn't completing the ball down the field um, at the same clip that he was 
used to throughout the, the this year. And, and that was one of the reasons why I thought they were going to lose to Texas is because Texas didn't allow a lot of big plays necessarily uh, outside of the Alabama game. But that's really been something that's worked really well for that offense is just connecting on the big plays. I will say, though, Dylan Gabriel did rush the ball effectively. It seemed like they really wanted to run the ball. I don't Maybe the weather had something to do with it, a wet football or something. But Tawi Walker added 446 yards and the touchdown. And look, the offense, they just didn't look fully right. You know, it's just they they, they seemed like they were playing with their food a little bit. I don't know what was going on with them. It was just, like you said, they were just sloppy. And I, but no, and we're going to get into this in a second with uh, with our, our rankings. And we're going to try and predict where the college football playoff is going to be. But Oklahoma really took a hit. And I know they lost. And of course, they're always going to take a hit from losing. But it's the manner in which they lost. It's pretty ugly. It was an ugly football game. And I, in all respect to Kansas, that's a good football team. It's not a team that Oklahoma should have been losing to. Yeah, and I, I don't know if Oklahoma can get in anymore. Uh, I mean, they, obviously there are other situations. We'll be Texas again, and we'll see. I, I don't know. If that, I don't know if that does it because they don't have the win over Alabama that Texas does, and I think that uh, plays very strongly for for Texas in, in regards to that discussion. If they're beating Texas twice and that's their best quality win, I, I don't know. Um, Might be their only quality win, right? Well, for the most yeah, part. and so. That, that, that to me, and obviously other conferences, you know, Florida State loses and you would take Oklahoma before you take a one-loss ACC team. And there's other discussions to be had, but uh, th- this is a complete fumbling, uh, which they did twice in the game, by the way. Uh, the, a complete fumbling of the moment, uh, a, a chance to reach uh, back into the college football playoffs. I, I just don't know if it's there for the Sooners anymore. Yeah, tough game. And I do want to kind of get into this because we we just we just sort of we sort of leaned into it. I was gonna finish the show with this, but not I just want to do it now. And you know what? I'm calling an audible. Um and I, I do want to discuss where your college football playoff rankings are. Um I think we're gonna disagree with who's number one, just in general. Uh I have Georgia. That's where I, I think that they showed me something on Saturday. I'm, 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 I'll be honest with you, Garrett. I, I've been very hesitant to put Georgia there. Uh, they have not beaten a very good quality of opponent. They have not looked very good. This was the right time for them to look good against a decent opponent. If you go by rankings, Florida would have been ranked 26 in terms of uh, that nonsense if you extend it down the list. Okay. And, and Georgia looked great. Um, there's no, there's no denying it. I have not voted Georgia number one at any point this season. I also have them number one right now. Yeah. I think that I, I think they show that they're the best team in the country. It was you a know? good time to have your best effort. The, the, the couple of days before the college football play playoff committee will get together and talk this through. It was mm-hmm. a good timing for that. I have Georgia one. Yeah. And look, they've, they've played two big games. Really? I guess you could quantify two big games. The ranked opponent with Kansas, or excuse me, with Kentucky coming to town, um, and then you have a streaking Florida team. Like you said, this was a team that was just outside of the top twenty-five. Yeah, but they kicked them both in the teeth. Yeah, and they beat one thirty by thirty-eight points, and then the latter by twenty-three. And it, it was not just the fact that they won; it's the fact that they won in resounding fashion and dominating mm-hmm. fashion in a game in games that really weren't close. Um, no, you get past the second the, about halftime, and and it was just all she wrote. Uh, in both of those games. And I think that they're the best team in the country. Even even though they lose Brock Bowers, they look better on offense, or they don't miss a beat, I should say. Not better. Number two, I'm going to go with Michigan. That's another team who hasn't really played a lot of good teams. I mean, you can actually make an argument that UNLV is the best team on their on their 
resume right now. Now that's going to change when you have to play Ohio State down the road and you got to play Penn State on November 4th. And look, they're going to have opportunities to show up and show out, but they have the bye week this week to prepare for Penn State. And we'll see how that affects. And we saw Penn State kind of stumble uh, because I think they might have been looking ahead, uh, but not the point. Michigan is the second best team in the country. They've shown it. They've been dominant every game that they played. Before I agree with you, let's jump to number three real quick. Who do you have at three? Ohio State. Okay, so I have them flipped right now. That's why okay, I, that's I assumed fair. you had the Buckeyes there. I'm solely on the basis of quality win. Hey, look, Michigan has been more impressive, but Ohio State does have the resume builders uh, when you regards to Notre Dame, in regards to Penn State. I, I think those are more impressive than anything Michigan's done. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I'm slowly dropping Michigan down the list. Look, you got to remember the committee builds – things out in case certain things happen they want flexibility to move michigan up if need be they 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 can't it would be a tough sell to have them up and then drop them if they don't lose and so they're they're very storyline based they understand the upcoming games in the schedule they're gonna in my opinion they're gonna have them behind ohio state because of the resume with the opportunity to have them jump ohio state uh if they are able to beat penn state in a game you mentioned yeah, and I think you made a good point. It's it's just the resume builders. I think Ohio State, yeah. you can make an argument that they have the two best wins in the country uh, of anybody. I mean, you could also say Florida State has those, but I wouldn't say Clemson's that great of a win now. LSU is <laughs> surged recently, right. but we'll see later down the road. Um, we'll get into Florida State. I'm sure we'll we'll both have them here somewhere. But uh, Ohio State, I just think, has more pressing issues just in general. I know Marvin Harrison is running, looking like a front runner for the Heisman Trophy. He just – just a stud. I mean, there's not on, much man. else. Throw there's not 18, much that this baby. guy can't do. Um, just number 18, six receptions, 123 yards, two touchdowns against Wisconsin last week. Trevion Henderson finally showed up, 162 yards and a touchdown. I've been praying for, yeah. for them to find a rushing attack. And I know, it looks yeah. like they finally found something with Trevion Henderson because he got healthy. And I think that they've been just desperately looking for a rushing attack to, to just get healthy. Mine Williams has been struggling with injuries. I mean, they, they were down to their third string running back, and he got hurt. It's just been a, a brutal stretch for the Buckeyes. I think once those guys get back and healthy, and, and they'll do what Trevion Henderson just did on Saturday and just run all over uh, the opposition, which was, unfortunately for them, Wisconsin. Uh, but the offense has been largely inconsistent, too mm-hmm. inconsistent for me to put them over Michigan. Um, and Kyle McCord, just he was picked off twice in this game against Wisconsin. It was just a sloppy game. Um I don't know. I can't really stomach the idea of having them at number two, just with how ugly their wins have been. But hey, wins are wins. They beat yeah. Penn State at home, and and that's a stout Penn State defense. But did they beat them because the offense just couldn't get it done? I don't know. But the defense has been exceptional for Ohio State, and I don't want to take that away from them because I want to give that that shout out. Jim Knowles has done incredible things with that defense, and, 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 uh, and- credit to him. And again, you're jumping Michigan. If my if my rankings are, you're jumping them immediately over Ohio State sure. if they beat Penn State. And, and yeah, so, of course. Let, let's move on to four and no, five. Real quick, I, I do want to say this real quick before we yeah. move on. Michigan, it's not going to happen this week. It's not going to happen. It, or it might. I don't know. Did they get punished for the sign stealing thing in the rankings by the College Football Playoff Committee? No, 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 no. You don't think so? No. Okay. I, look, first off, I think it's very easy to defend Michigan being ranked as low as five. I think it is too. I think it's very easy to defend that in terms of they just don't have the resume. 
And if if they're remember the committee will come out and explain this, they'll explain why they rank team. I think it's very easy for them if they wanted to control the narrative and say, look, they simply don't have the opponents that these other schools do. Uh, there's no doubt about it. They they do every school that we're going to rank has a better win than than Michigan would. Um, so in terms of that sort of punishment, uh, you know, maybe they can defend having them as low as five, but I I don't think that is going to be the case. I think I think you're probably right. Um, I would be very surprised, but yes, let's move on to. Oh, well, hold on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I want to control this a little bit because okay, you control. I it. think you, you and I you are gonna have the same four and five, just like we, we have the same two and three. It might be flipped in order. Okay. Let me jump down to six and just ask: Do you have Oregon at six? I do have Oregon at six. Okay, so you're. I assume you're going Florida State, Washington, in some combination at four or five. I have. Washington and Florida State. Some combination you, at four so, or five. So now break it down to me. Who do you have I, at four? I have Washington at number four. Okay, I flipped. I knew we were going to flip it, man. I, I flipped it. Would. I flipped it, yeah. The win against Oregon does too much for me. You talked about resume. I, I think the Oregon is the – I have them at number six in the country, you know. Sure. Um, and I think that's a big deal for them. And I nearly dropped them because of the way they've been playing the last two Wait, weeks. And, and, and that's exactly what, what led yeah. to my decision. Is you Look, we talked about Georgia. I bumped them in the rankings because of how they looked on Saturday. Washington sure. the last two weeks, the, even with that win over Oregon, which was an outstanding one, I did decide to drop them down to five in those rankings uh, just, just because they've been a little dicey since that, that win over the Ducks. So – um, yeah, I, I could see it going either way. I have absolutely no arguments against you putting Washington ahead of Florida State. I have no problem with it. Um, I, I decided the other way just because of how they've looked recently. I think um, it's fine. But but there's yeah. no arguments again. And I like like you have Oregon six. I have Oregon six too. So you're talking about a win over number six mm-hmm. uh right there. Uh so I, I can certainly understand that uh as well. In fact, it, it look. I know we talked about Michigan. Make the case for Florida State, though. Make the case for Florida State. Why are they number four? It's it, solely because I think they've been a little bit more impressive recently. Well, Jordan Travis, Jordan Travis was killer. Uh, yeah, they, they just dominated Wake Forest. I wanted to see a complete performance from them. Uh, I know I mean, we it's talked 41, about their... 16. I would call that you. I mean, you, I'm and that's not it. saying you're not calling it that, but I mean, no, that, that... It, it would, no. But what I'm saying is, going into last week, I really wanted to see the complete performance against who I considered a, a a competent, strong opponent. I mean, we talked about what they were going to do against Dino Babers in, in Syracuse, but they've since just fallen off the map. I mean, they're they're winless in the ACC right now. They've looked hapless. Yeah. So I wanted to see what they did looked like against a pretty good Wake Forest team on uh-huh. the road. And I know John Fricky and I talked about it on Saturday mornings on College Football Game Time on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Find it anywhere on the Odyssey app. Shameless plug that I'll make another two or three times on this podcast. But I wanted to see them put it together in all phases of the game and not just with big plays like what they, they had against LSU or, or the big fumble against uh, Clemson on the road. Right. I wanted to see them do it in all phases of the game, and they did it on Saturday. Trey Benson made plays on the ground through the air. The running back, Jordan Travis, had 359 yards and four total touchdowns. But more impressively, the defense showed up in a big way. They held a pretty good Dave Clawson offense to 210 total yards, you know? This is a team that looks has looked objectively better as the weeks have gone on. I'm worried that they have some minefields down the stretch. We talked about Florida earlier in the podcast. Miami is another team, but we're not going to talk mm-hmm. about them today. But 
they're a good team. And I think that they can absolutely beat Florida state. If they play their best football, they got some minefields that they need to address, but they look like a, they, they're cooking right now and they control their destiny. So win out yeah. and you're in. Look, I'm not punishing Ohio state for a game. They probably should have lost against Notre Dame. I mean, you're literally a single they play lost away. That game. Yeah. You're a single play away. I'm not punishing Florida State for a game they probably should have lost against Clemson because if you don't make that single play, that's a different game as well. Uh, obviously, sure. referring to the fumble uh, that led to an immediate touchdown. I mean, that that swung it that entire game. Of course it did. Um, yeah. But I will say this. Since that Clemson game, uh, they beat Virginia Tech by 20-something. They beat Syracuse by 30-something. They beat Duke by 18, uh, which is a very a top 15 Duke team at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they a beat, good Duke team. Yeah. And, and they Duke beat, team. uh, Wake Forest by 25. So they have been impressive. And, and, and when I'm trying to compare, and I agree with you, Washington's individual win over Oregon is better than the combination of beat LSU and beat Clemson. I do agree yeah. with you on that. Um, but in terms of who's impressed me recent form, um, and, and it doesn't matter because both teams control their destiny. They went out sure. be where they need to be. So it really doesn't matter uh who you flip flop four and five um i have florida state four you have washington four um i i just have not seen enough from washington the past two weeks um they beat stanford this weekend by uh, uh what nine points egregious egregious and, uh, performance in the week before that it was 15 to 7 against arizona state uh, they did get Arizona the Oregon State win, team. but even going back to before that, at Arizona was a touchdown game. So Arizona's uh, a good team. Hasn't been, it, yeah. No, I, I'm not taking away that, but it's just they haven't been dominant. They haven't been impressive, and Florida sure. State has been that. Um, so, so that's why I have them. I, I'll be honest. The more I think about it, though, the more I might – I would not be surprised, just going back to what we talked about with Michigan, I would not be surprised if because of the lack of resume wins, they have Michigan at five ahead of Oregon. I, I, I'm not, I would not do that because I think Michigan has been so impressive, no matter the quality opponent. Um, but again, they're always looking for storylines and talking points and to control whatever narrative they mm-hmm. want to control. If you take in this cheating scandal, along with the idea that they have flexibility to jump them because of the quality opponents that are coming on the schedule um michigan's the one team that kind of floats around i I think you and i both agree ohio state's going to end up above florida state and washington no matter what the numbers themselves are so it'll that that's the one where that's the wild card team for me is michigan they they could be as high as i guess theoretically they could be as high as one um or or they probably could be as low as five i can't really see them going any lower than that no no the committee also has it wouldn't be lower than five no, but no they, they, They're the only team that I think could be anywhere between one and five. But this is where we get into this conversation between uh, Brett McMurphy talked about this on Dukes and Bell last week on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Find it anywhere on the Odyssey app. <laughs> Shameless plug again Let's for at do. least the second time of the show. Um, but Brett McMurphy, Brett McMurphy mentioned that it's like it's just a conversation between best team versus most deserving team. It's a combination. Is Michigan, is Michigan the most deserving team? Sort of. I mean, they've looked really good. But the best win, like I said, is against UNLV. They have been the the most consistently dominant. They have. There's there's no denying that. But you do take into account the quality of the opponents. They do. You you have to. Yeah. So eh, we'll see. But they still still have two big games down the stretch. And, of course, you still got to play the Big Ten West and the rest of the Big Ten East if you're Michigan. I I do want to ask you this real quick, off record. Not off record, but off off topic. Mm -hmm. 
of your other four teams, the team other the four teams looking in right now, who I think three of them have a good chance of of playing their way almost or maybe at least into the conversation. I'm gonna say they're Texas, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Ole Miss. Ole Miss is probably out just because they have the loss to Alabama. It's gonna, it might be their only loss this season, uh, but they still have to play Georgia down the road, so that might be you one or two one. losses. You forgot. Um, eh, I don't know, but if but if you're if you are Ole Miss, I just want to make the case for them real quick. You beat Georgia on the road. You are a one loss team. Alabama wins the SEC championship game. You got an argument as a one loss conference, a non conference champion to push your way in. I think it'd be very interesting. Oklahoma, of course, you control your own destiny. You're almost assuredly going to go to the Big 12 title game unless you fall in your face or, or at Bedlam or, or somewhere else down the road. Alabama, they're, I mean, you win this weekend. This is a huge, huge game this weekend against LSU. When you win that and you're mathematically, it's almost impossible for you not to make it in. Uh, and then Texas, you went out, you got a great shot. Now, of course, you don't have Quinn Ewers, you don't have everything, but you have everything else, you know? And we're going to get into what, what uh, Texas did last week or on Saturday here in just a moment. But of those four teams, do you see a path in for any of them or who has the best one? Yeah, I, I think you forgot one, though. And I think that's Penn State. I think they're still in this discussion. You're right. Well, um, and they're number they, 11 for me, though, I will say. No, right now, but yeah. because they have a potential win over a top five team, uh, it, you know, they would have to beat Michigan to stay in this conversation. And then, then they would, at that point, they would just like a rock. So, I, I, yeah, but I, I think Texas is, is the one. Um, I agree. They, they've got the win over Alabama, which really is important to their cause because. Like we were talking about earlier, unlike Oklahoma, who does not have that quality win to rely on, mm-hmm. um, assuming and now they also need Oklahoma to run the table now. Um, but you know, Oklahoma is ten right now. They're they're probably not going to be jumped because of the combination of how teams would have to jump them would mean that teams above them would lose and fall. It, it, sure. it, it, you know, it trust me, it makes sense. Um, but for instance, if LSU were to beat Alabama, LSU might jump Oklahoma, but. Because of the loss, Alabama would drop back down. There's a bunch of those combinations of of results. So I think Texas season. is the one yeah. that um, at one loss probably still best controls their own destiny um, b- because of that road win in Alabama. I-, I think they're holding on to that one very tightly because that's, for them, the biggest differentiator between um, a- any any team that's going to have a one-loss argument. Um you know, Oregon aside, they're they're in their own discussion sure. as in terms of one loss teams. Sure, uh, Abe, I want to move into a bit of a lightning round of sorts. Let's do um, it, and we're going to start here locally. Yeah. Georgia Tech, great game, fun to watch over North Carolina. If you missed this game, if you missed this game, do yourself a favor and go back and watch it. They had fireworks galore in this one, and of course, they honor Paul Johnson, uh, triple option savant. Uh, if but he's going to the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, recognized him and, and they honored him by running for 246 yards in the fourth quarter alone. Uh, Drake may had a pretty good game. Uh, I will say all things considered the, the, the UNC offense is fine. The UNC defense on the other hand, gave up 22 fourth quarter points. They had four different opportunities to put it away, you know, because they led by double digits and then they give up 
46 points, which is the fourth most for Georgia Tech against a ranked opponent in school history. They give up 635 yards of total offense, which is the fifth most in school history for Georgia Tech. 348 yards on the ground. Just an incredible performance. Haynes King, four touchdowns uh, on the day. I mean, that might make him the most successful quarterback that Jimbo Fisher had ever uh, that has that he had recruited in the last decade. You know, I mean, it's been a very impressive day for Haynes King. It's had a, it's it's been a good season for him. He did have the interception and uh, nearly derailed a potential comeback opportunity for Georgia Tech. But look, they're four and zero against ranked ACC teams. They're three and five against unranked ACC teams. Now they get another one of those unranked teams next week against Virginia, but they're also four and one on the road as an underdog, which they are against Virginia. Georgia Tech is, is just the ebbs and flows of their season. They're, they're a checkerboard. They've lost and then won and then lost and then won. It's just a crazy season for the Yellow Jackets with Frank Gate. Well, it makes up for the loss to to uh, Boston College uh, a week sure ago. Sure does. Uh, because you're talking about you need this game to stay on track for bowl eligibility. You lost it. Now you're like, all right, well, you got to beat a ranked team here or a ranked team there or, or Georgia. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Well, it did happen. And, and you're right. The North Carolina defense was a big letdown. They can't end this game with zero sacks. That's what it boils down yeah. to me. They, they have too good of a front. We've seen it throughout the season in big games where they have gotten pressure. Um, and it's just all come unglued. I, I, I mean, was it 18 days ago? We were talking about they may actually be better than Florida State, and Tez Walker has changed the scope of that offense and this, and, and that's all falling apart in the span of two weeks, and they're not even in the discussion anymore. They're, they, they, I don't know if they're uh, – I guess they they're uh, out. updated the rankings. They're, so, yeah, I was say, I don't know. They're going to stay in the rankings. So, so there you have it, two weeks – can change a lot, but I don't want to focus on uh, on North Carolina. It's all behind uh, at this point. This was about Georgia Tech. This was a really impressive Absolutely. showing. And um, you look, I don't want to complain about a lack of consistency, but but the question is, how do you find that consistency? I think that's the challenge now for Brent Key. I think he's shown that they can compete in these games with these teams, but week in, week out, where is it? And um, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, again, we talked about like, what's the next step for Florida under Billy Napier next year? What's the next step for Georgia tech? Uh, obviously this season, don't lose the games. You're supposed to win, get to bowl eligibility, move on from there. But mm-hmm. next season, let's find that consistency that you have shown you are capable of because at times this is an outstanding Georgia tech team. And then, unfortunately, at other times, Bowling Green comes in and rolls up 28 or 35 straight or 38 straight, whatever the number was. It's brutal. You've got to find the middle ground Mm -hmm. there. Um, But this was an awesome game. I was out at a bar, uh, and it was just fun to watch. It's one of the – that's what's crazy about what we're seeing at Georgia Tech now. Whether you think they're, like, a good program or not, they've become fun. They've become kind of cool – in the city of Atlanta again. And, and that's awesome to see. They're never going to overtake Georgia. I think people understand that. But they mattered on Saturday night. I, I don't care that it was a fact that there were no other great premier games on Saturday night. They mattered on Saturday night. At the bar I was at, people were watching that game more than any other game out there, including Tennessee, Kentucky. That mm. was pretty cool for me to see. I'll be honest. Yeah. And uh, the last time I saw that was when I was out at a bar after, <laughs> after the... Uh, during the Miami and Georgia Tech game. 
the other ranked win that they have in the ACC this year. Just, just an incredible game for the Yellow Jackets. And Dante Smith, big shout out to him. Uh, last offensive player that Paul Johnson recruited at Georgia Tech, 178 yards rushing. He is two, uh, and he had a touchdown. He had a long of 70 yards. He's the biggest. He's probably the biggest reason they won this game. He was the guy. They just sort of handed him the ball and said, "Go." in the fourth quarter and look, he has 239 yards in the season. People had been asking questions. Hey, where is this guy? He was considered to be the leader in the, in the locker room coming into the season. And well, he more than he had made up a 50% of his season totals in terms of rushing on Saturday alone. And I, I want to see what they do next week. And, and look, look, you, you beat Virginia. You have a chance to go beat Clemson in two weeks. Then all the, I mean, you're alive. In the ACC, the race for an ACC I was just looking at the standings, aid. yeah. I was just looking at like, the standings. They're right there. And that's, a, and that's a courtesy. I mean, and we talked to Brent Key after the game. Of course, I also covered the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. So I was there for the field storming. And I have incredible, my first ever field storming that I've been a part of. An unbelievable experience, mind you. But he mentioned after the game that there's been carnage in the ACC. Now, you need Louisville to lose twice. And I don't think that that's going to happen down the stretch. Uh, we're going to get into them here in just a second. Virginia Tech, you probably need to lose twice. That's doable. I think that can happen. But there's a world that they finish top three or top four in the ACC. And it's more just also a credit to, to how bad Clemson's looked. But um, that's not the point, and we're not going to get into that right now. I just want to shout out Georgia Tech and all the great things that they've been doing over there on the flats. I want to move into the other ACC team that we were discussing, the Louisville Cardinals. We knew what they were on offense, but they just showed out on defense. I know that Riley Leonard didn't play in this game. And look, I foolishly picked Duke to win this game uh, in hindsight. The moment I made the pick, I regretted making the pick because Duke goes on the road for the second week in a row against another really good team after kind of getting punched out in the mouth in a physical game. Second week in a row on the road, playing without your starting quarterback. All signs pointed to, to Duke not being able to win this game, but the offense just disappeared. And Jawar Jordan showed up in major fashion. He got hurt against Pittsburgh, and he comes back with a career high, 163 yards and two touchdowns. He leads the ACC now with five games with 100-plus yards. Just a great day for the Cardinals. Yeah, it, it really was. And, and I'll be honest, I, I, I do wonder if I'm going to be sitting here uh, a month from today uh, talking about what could have been for Louisville because they're, they're not in the discussion. Um, but man, they've got a manageable schedule. Uh, obviously some tough games, Miami and Kentucky, uh, to end the year. Uh, but Virginia and, uh, Virginia tech are the next two, uh, yeah. in reverse order. I, I mean, it, it look, this is probably an 11 and one or 10 and two team. Uh, and it was, uh, as you said, a very impressive performance defensively. Um, they held, they held Riley Leonard to, to nine completions. Um, so it, it, it was, uh, and you could see it early too. It, it looked like it was going to be tough all night for Duke. It just looked tough, um, yeah. watching the game. And then as you mentioned, uh, Jawar Jordan has just, it's one of those things where they're on the TV and you just happen to look up and you just see this guy in red, just streaking down the sideline. I'm like, ah. Oh, Looks like Jamar. Looks like Jamar Jordan's in open space again. Uh, it's kind of felt that way most of the season when he gets the ball in his hands. Uh, you give him an inch and he'll take uh, thirty yards or forty yards or whatever's left before yeah. the end zone. Uh, 
uh, very impressive from Louisville. And it, it's a situation where uh, there's just a ton of regret, uh, I think, when you go back and, and think about the game they did lose, uh, did lose yeah. because – uh, they got a real shot to run the rest of the table uh, in impressive fashion. Uh, I'm 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 in on this team after how they looked, um, and and it says a lot about uh, a coach being able to get the program to the levels that it's uh, appears to be at right now in very quick fashion. Yeah, and I did say that they were without Riley Leonard. There's context he's not himself. Involved. He's not. Himself. There's context involved in what I yeah. said there. Uh, he's not himself. He's not the guy that that yeah. that, that, that played against. If he can't Notre run, Dame. it, it you, you can't. can't yeah. The majority of what he does is based off of his athleticism. Well, and no one's hiring Cam Newton to be a pocket passer. And no. that's that's what you've got right now. And with Leonard Riley is not. Leonard. He's certainly not Cam Newton yeah. necessarily. But no, but you know, he's I a guy just who relies on being able to to get out of the pocket and move and and with his mobility. And Louisville just sort of took advantage. This is a good pass rush, and they got into his face and they hit him early and often. I do want to say this. I want to shout out the, the Louisville offensive line because we gave Jawar Jordan his love. He's mm-hmm undoubtedly one of the best running backs in the ACC. He's right up there with Amari and Hampton as I think front runners for all ACC first team. That offensive line was sublime on Saturday. This is a Duke defensive front, which is really the reason why I picked this team, I picked Duke to win this game uh, as much as more than anything. They don't allow big plays and Louisville relies pretty heavily on their big plays. And Jamari Thrash continued to have his big plays averaged seven yard or 10 yards per completion, 73 yards on the day. He's great wide receiver uh, for Louisville, but they relied heavily on those big plays and Duke didn't give up big plays. That's not really what they do. And I will say this offensive line for Louisville showed up in a big way because Jamar, Jawar Jordan, 73% of his yards of his 163 yards came before contact against this front seven for Duke, which is, I mean, it's not littered with star talent, but it's very well coached and it's, and it's a, it's a, it harasses your opponents. You, I mean, you used to, they, they, they took Florida state to the brink because of the front seven and Jawar Jordan was ma- a, a, a just masterful in this game, but give the offensive line their flowers for the way that they looked. Yeah. I, look again, it was just a really impressive performance and, whether Duke's uh, quarterback was full strength or not, uh, a shutout's impressive at any mm-hmm. stage of college football, no matter who the offense is, unless it's Iowa. Um, but, but uh, you know, I, I mean, it, it was an impressive performance, and, and Louisville's showing that they're they're legit. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and I want to talk now about the best 5-3 and three team in the country, Arizona, because it looks like they were right there. Ever since they, they, they implemented, they uh, planted Noah Fifita, into the uh, to the starting lineup that made him the starting quarterback. And all he's done is throw for 280-ish yards a game and almost three touchdowns per game. And he did it again on Saturday, threw for 275 yards and three touchdowns as they take down a top 15 Oregon State, a team that was very much right there in the thick of things in the Pac-12 title race. And look, Arizona had been right there on the cusp. They were right there, Abe. They lost to Washington by seven. They lost to... USC by two in triple overtime. And then I really felt like they put it all together and they just beat the brakes off of Washington state last week in a game that I don't think a lot of people expected to, that game to, to end like it did. I, I expected Arizona to give them a good, good run for their money, but not beat them the way that they did. And then they come out this week and play a really well-coached Oregon state team, a really physical Oregon state team. And they came out and punched him in the mouth and they won not with 
overwhelming offense, but just consistent play overall as a team. And I'm very impressed with what Arizona's done so far. Well, look, this is a team that's lost three games by a combined uh, 16 points uh, over the course of the, and and what happened to them is they got lost in the shuffle because look, we know there's Washington and Oregon, but there's USC, there's Utah, there's Oregon state. uh, And there's been Washington state Uh, and whether or not Colorado's good, they got a lot of headlines out of that conference and Mm -hmm. Arizona, being a, a a pretty solid team just got lost in the shuffle um and they've reminded a couple people the last two weeks uh with a win over the cougars and now a win over the beavers um exactly what they're about so uh yeah it was a tough stretch to washington and usc uh those two losses but they've rebounded nicely and um yeah it's one of those things where we got all high and mighty on the pac-12 and and who you know how many ranked teams they could add look how many top 15 he this is one that wasn't there at the time that that has surpassed a couple of those, uh, including Oregon State, who they took out Saturday. Yeah, and it was just a masterful performance. Um, I will say DJU didn't look very good. They harassed him pretty effectively. And Jonathan Smith made that coach of Oregon State made a very questionable decision. Uh, tries a fake field goal, likely the difference in the game. Uh, he does that at the end of the first half in a game. Just take the points, you know? And they're now one of seven three and two Pac-12 teams, like you said. It's really, really convoluted right there in the middle. Utah, USC, these other teams. Uh, Hopefully we're Arizona's right in there too now. Let's let's just worry about the top two. I don't care. I'm worried about about the top two, and hopefully those two get through unscathed because I think the Pac-12 absolutely needs to be represented in the college football playoff. But Oregon State takes a big chunk out of their uh, potential race to the Pac-12 title game. Um, Another one who I think just – Took a chunk out of their season. Clemson, man, just a miserable performance again. And it's another game where Clemson has snatched defeat out of the jaws of victory. Dabo Sweeney has said a few times that they are just a couple of plays away, just a couple of plays away. And this is another one of those games where they were absolutely just a couple of plays away. But you know what? Those plays matter, especially when you stack plays on top of each other. And this is their seventh loss in the last 12 games versus power five opponents. Eight, they're five and seven against their last 12 teams in the power five. That's unacceptably bad. They're not going to reach, they're not going to have double digit wins, even if they win their bowl game. That'll be the first time since 2010, Abe. This is a bad Clemson team. This isn't just a, a Clemson team that is missing its opportunities or whatever. This is a bad football team. And Dabo Sweeney is squarely to blame. Yeah, I, I'm no longer interested in what Clemson is doing on the field. What I'm interested in now is what Dabo Sweeney is going to try to do, uh, change, adjust, whatever, to reestablish Clemson as a power in the ACC. Uh, that, that's that's the storyline that I'm paying attention to at this point. I was talking with a Clemson fan uh, just the other night because I, I know there's going to be calls from outside the program. I know we saw a little bit of that between you and John Fricky in our text chain. Um, But the leash is very long for for Dabble. I don't want people to get a misunderstanding here. The Clemson leash is incredibly long for Dabble Sweeney. Now, if he chooses to step away on his own accord, that's one thing. See, that's what Um, I was... And that's fine. But they're they're not firing him in this offseason. No. Um, no. So so let's not get get too, uh, you know, crazy with it. Uh, yeah. But I am interested to see what he attempts to do to reestablish them as a power. That's what I'm paying attention to 
now. And everything's going to be viewed with a microscope. His pregame comments, postgame comments, midweek press conferences. Uh, he, he needs to start doing a couple things right because it seems like week after week after week, he just steps in it every single time. Um, and then the team losing just furthers that. Yeah, and, and look, you they've got some holes. They've got some ser- very serious issues. And and one of them is is just, and it's been said many, many times, it's his in, in, is, is unwillingness, refusal. To, to, just for saying, unwillingness refusal. to use the to, to use the transfer portal. Yeah. Because, look, you go out and get Garrett Riley, who's one of the hot, he's the hottest offensive coordinator prospect are on the market last offseason. But you're not built for that kind of offense. So do you know what you do if you're trying to compete for a national championship the next year? You go get players in the transfer portal. It's it's just a critical thing. You have to do it. If you're going to go make those changes, the system the, the systematic changes that come when you change your offensive coordinator, you need to bring in some other people to actually the players who fit the style of play. It's just and it's just you have to use the tools that are there for you. And if you're not going to do that, then you need to step aside and let somebody in who will, you know, and, and he is as unfireable of a coach as there exists in college football. Like, I don't think that there is, it's Nick Saban and there's Kirby Smart and then there's Dabo Sweeney as far as unfireable head coaches go. I don't think there is a number three above him, just in general. Maybe a Kyle Willington or something like that, but that's not the point. He's won two national titles. The Clemson way has been showed to, shown to work. It's just not working right now. And my biggest problem is not the fact that they're losing. It's not the fact that even the, even the transfer portal stuff, it's the fact that he's pointing fingers and making excuses. It's the fact that he leads this season off saying is like, Oh, well 13, the last 13 or 15 or whatever recruiting classes have all won a national title. Well, you're on the clock. And now it's like, now he's yelling at his fan base and say, Oh, I think we need to clear off the bandwagon because all they expect is national titles. Yeah. Because you all but you you've delivered on that in the past, and then now you're you're effectively telling your guys that that's the expectation. Yes, Dabo, that's the expectation. Not losing seven of your last twelve games to Power Five opponents, and these aren't all good Power Five opponents either. This NC State team is not that good. The South Carolina team that he lost to last year was not that good. I mean, and he comes up and he makes the same the same excuses after games. Oh well. If we had this play go our way, or if that player, if we didn't turn the ball over here, well, that's football, Dabo. That's football. And you need to be able to, to roll with the punches and make changes. And he hasn't been able to adapt, he, and he's losing. And then he's throwing his players under the bus, too. Kate Klubnik, he, he pulls the football. And, like, he shouldn't have done that. I, I understand that it was a run play. Why do you have to make that public? Why do you have to throw your quarterback under the bus? It gets absurd. You You made him public enemy number one after that game. And you're the head coach. You're the head coach, and you should be public enemy number one, period. They shouldn't have even been in that situation against a team that they should have blown out of the water. And it's just a very frustrating sight with Clemson right now. Yeah, I think Dabo needs to take a step back. And I don't mean from the job or the role, but, I mean, he needs to get a broader view of what's going on with the program uh, and address it, Uh, whether it's the transfer portal issues, whether it's how he's handling his media responsibilities. He needs to start taking a look at everything that has led to the last 18 months for Clemson and, and what I would call a de- decline from their place yeah, atop the ACC um, yeah. and, and, and try and figure out what he can reestablish uh, to, to get them back because they're still recruiting very well and all yeah. that stuff. But 
Um, it, it's pretty evident that this is not uh, the team we saw taking Alabama to the brink multiple times uh, for a four or beating, five year stretch. Beating them a few times yeah. too, winning two national title games. And look, they uh, they're not as far as their record might indicate. This is a t- this is a team that might turn around and and just they could win the rest of their games convincingly, very simply. And I'm just waiting for that to happen. But uh, to this point, I haven't seen any evidence of that happening. But I do want to move on to another team in Orange, a team that they actually played in the bowl game. Tennessee looks really good in their win against Kentucky, a team that they have dominated over the last couple of years. Well, a couple of years, last four decades, let's put it that way. They've won 36 of the last 39 appearances or games with uh, the University of Kentucky. I thought Kentucky was going to have an opportunity to win this game, but I intentionally avoided it because I I just didn't know who Tennessee was going to be. And Tennessee, especially on the road, has been pretty bad. Uh, They've lost four of their last five games on the road. The one that they won was a 58 to nothing win at Vanderbilt, which I don't know about UA, but I don't necessarily include that in my discussion. So let's talk about those four losses because they lost those by an average of 21 points. And you can go back to that game against Georgia. You can go back to the game against South Carolina last year. I mean, those were pretty resounding losses. And then that kind of followed over, uh, followed up into this year. Um, You have the road loss against Florida. You have the road loss against Alabama games where they look downright terrible for entire halves. And I didn't want to pick a team that was going to do that. But look, the rushing attack worked. They ran for 254 yards. They did what they needed to do. And they weathered a storm that was Devin Leary, who finally looked like the transfer quarterback that we expected him to be. But Tennessee was just a better football team. They've generally been the better football team in this rivalry, and it showed again on Saturday. Yeah, look, this this is not a misread on Tennessee. This is a misread on Kentucky. And I think we got way, way, way too crazy about them uh, after the Florida win, right? Uh, they, 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 Probably, yeah. That's how I look at it. They get dominated by Georgia. They get dominated by Missouri. They play a tight game, a close game here against Tennessee. Um, but I think this is more about a, a misread of Kentucky than it was about Tennessee. I, I thought Tennessee did a great job offensively, very balanced, uh, 228 yards passing, 253 yards rushing. Joe Milton was very efficient, 18 to 21. Uh, smart with the football. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they let what was working uh, work. And, and so uh, this was a good, solid win. For, for Tennessee, they are better than Kentucky. This is not surprising to me, um, but it's just one of the, we see these storylines sometimes, right? We're trying to build up Kentucky. We're trying to build them up because we're always trying to build someone up to face Georgia and make a game bigger than it really is. Tennessee yeah. last year was always uh, built up bigger than it really was. Missouri's the next team. We're going to see it all this week. They're going to be built up bigger than they actually are. Now, I actually like them. I think they're very good. I think they're um, very good. But, Luther Bird and company, that's a good yeah, team. Yeah, I mean, we don't need to get into that, but sure. th- th- that's what Kentucky fell prey to. And and I think we've seen over the last three weeks that that Kentucky is still Kentucky football. It's an eight and four team or whatever they're going to be. But th- th- this is not a team that was going to be 10 and two. And so there was a little bit of uh, got out over your skis in regards to what Kentucky can be. And that's carried over despite uh, how they got handled by Georgia. It carried over because they looked so dominant against the Florida team to move to 5-0 and at the time. Um, but th- this feels about where both of these teams are, to be honest. Yeah, and, uh, and I have some pretty 
big issues with Tennessee too in this win. I mean, I just I want to give them their flowers. They look good. Like this was a team that like you needed to, to run the ball effectively and you did. And Joe Milton's gonna have his job for next week too. So yeah. uh I know Nico for for when they play UConn and then eventually go down yeah. to uh take on Georgia. But look, I do want to point this one thing out uh because I know this is going to become a topic of conversation for when Georgia comes up to Neyland Stadium in two weeks. This is the second consecutive week that the Volunteers' defense, specifically their secondary, has been gouged. Uh, Devin Leary throws for 373 mm-hmm. yards, and this is not a team that's been very successful at throwing the ball this season. Uh, Devin Leary looked like one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC last week. Well, I look, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you before you even break into your point. I, I think they devoted everything they had to I making think you're sure right. Ray Davis didn't get off. And, and I think it did leave them open on the back. And I, it I think did. it's a little misleading because they were so darn good against the run. But the point the point that I'm trying to make is that what happens when you have Georgia coming into town? You did that last week. Well, you get against what you Alabama. saw against Alabama, except with a better pass attack. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're and, and, that's, and that was my point. And that was yeah. really my point. It's not that it's not that this was a super glaring weakness or whatever. It's just the fact I, that I think that they they aren't talented enough on defense to just stay within their base defense they have to throw resources at certain things and change formations or whatever and if you face a team that's talented enough to beat you then they're not going to be able to to hold water. yeah they had and, jason mcclellan beat them two weeks ago and they weren't going to let a run game beating them second straight week no. they're going to make the quarterback do it and and he did that, jason that, mcclellan that, had a performance against them last yeah. week that's a very similar thing to what i expect dajan edwards to be able to do in two weeks but that's a yeah. different discussion for a different time and we're going to get into that i'm sure We'll have plenty of time to discuss all of that, both here on the College Football Overtime Podcast and on College Football Game Time every single Saturday morning, nine or eight o'clock until noon, as we get you ready for all of the college football action every single Saturday. But Abe, I want to finish here with another orange team. Not the orange today. At least a lot of orange to, to finish the podcast off today. Uh, the Texas Longhorns, they look like a contender right now. They look really good. I know they lose Quinn Ewers to uh, the shoulder injury. Hopefully he comes back soon and he doesn't miss a beat. But Malik Murphy, ah, he's okay. They showed that he they were going to rip the Band-Aid off early. They threw the ball eight consecutive times um, out of it, or eight times in its first 10 plays on offense. They just wanted to say, hey, we're not afraid to throw the ball. But ultimately, I think it's the skill players that, that won the day for them here against BYU, a team that's that really didn't have any business contending with a good Texas team, but Xavier Worthy has the punt return for a touchdown. Jonathan Brooks uh, led it, led an offense or a rushing attack that averaged five yards per carry. And Edie Mitchell had two touchdowns. And look, Texas should be able to ride the skill players in a defense that created three turnovers on Saturday to a big 12 title game appearance. I don't think anybody in that conference is going to be able to slow them down, but they have a huge test this weekend, Kansas state, but yeah, this was just about Malik Murphy not being a, a, a disastrous step back, right? This is all we yeah. had to see. I don't have a lot to say about this game. They did what they're supposed to do. They leaned on the guys that they can lean on to. I agree with what you're saying. This was just about Malik Murphy not being a complete disaster at the quarterback position. He wasn't, and, and, and so they moved forward into, into what is, as you mentioned, a very tough game. We'll talk about that later in the week. Um, but, yeah, he wasn't bad. And that's what they needed him to be was not terrible. Yep. And uh, so onward and we move with the, the Longhorns. Onward and upward indeed for the Texas Longhorns. And and look, Abe, that's it for us on the College Football Overtime Podcast. We, we just finished up. But don't go anywhere because coming up on Thursday morning, 
we got another one. College Football Overtime is back twice a week, folks, because the good people told us that they needed to see us twice a week because once a week just wasn't enough because they love our analysis so much, I guess. I don't I don't really know. But <laughs> next week, we got a Kansas State at Texas, 25 versus number seven. Uh, we have Notre Dame and Clemson, which is a game that I think a lot of people expected to be a lot better of a game before. But honestly, I think Clemson's got a great shot at winning that game. You've got uh, Georgia Tech play, taking Virginia, which is important to the people here in Atlanta, uh, Missouri, and Georgia. Uh, you've got Bedlam, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State. Don't let me bury the lead there. And then, of course, the nightcap, the CBS special, LSU at Alabama. Hey, we have so much to get into. So if you're watching us here, thank you so much for giving us your time. You should also come over and watch us on Thursday morning. Sub subscribe below, 92.9 The Game. It's our YouTube page. You can also find us on the Odyssey app or anywhere you get your podcasts. But for Abe Gordon, I'm Garrett Chapman. We are College Football Overtime. We're going to be with you next Monday morning and every Thursday morning as we get you ready with all of the college football news that you need. It's been a great day. Thank you for joining us. And honestly, good night. Enjoy the football. We'll see you next time.